On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. This is Shez Kane, and you're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with Steve and Michael. Now crank it up! In this episode, we're talking with a new and -and up-and-coming artist from Frontiers Records named Chez Kane. Her debut self-titled album will be released on March 12th and was produced by Danny Rexon, the lead singer from Crazy Licks, 
which we played here before on the show. Danny was given the task of scouting new talent for Frontiers Records, and he stumbled upon a video from Shez, who was already fronting a band with her two sisters called Caned. We will cover the new album a little bit later in the show, so happy to have you here with us. Welcome, Shez Kane. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Chez, let's start here. You grew up in a household that was already pretty much musical, correct? Yes. Tell me a little bit about your background uh, with your family. Okay, so the earliest memory I have is um, singing for the first time on stage at the age of five. But I'm pretty sure I was singing from the second I could actually speak. <laughs> Music has run in my family. So I have grandparents that have been in bands. Um, my dad's a singer. My auntie is a singer. And then obviously me and my sisters kind of followed in their footsteps. So Stephanie, my elder sister, started singing and then kind of went on from there. Now, which one is Stephanie? I've seen videos and there's there's a sister that looks similar to you. And Stephanie, I guess, has blonde hair or did have blonde hair in the video I watched. Yeah. So the one that looks like my twin is Stephanie. Okay. <laughs> and she's the oldest of the three of you? Yeah. So there's a five-year gap between us, but everybody thinks we look like twins. <laughs> yeah, you, you do similar. And it's probably the black hair, at least in everything that I watched. It was... You know, you got two black hair female singers and one blonde hair female singer, and the blonde hair sort of sticks out, right? She's the yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> she's the what doesn't look like the others, right? <laughs> and so, are you the youngest of the three? I am, yes, but we also have a brother as well, so a youngest of four. So one one brother in a family of three rock and roll sisters, is that correct? <laughs> Yeah, poor guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Is he also a musician or no? So he didn't follow in the footsteps for singing, but he did do sound and technician. So he he went down the sound route. Okay. Yeah. So he, he actually growing up did a lot of our sound and tech side. That's very cool. Your dad. So I saw a video where you do a duet with your dad. What's the story yeah. there? What's your dad's musical background? So my dad has been a singer and a comedian on the local circuit in South Wales for pretty much most of his life. Well, after he left the army, because he was in the army for a little while, he left the army because him and my mum had Stephanie. And he went on then and did the singing side. And yeah, it's just it's just been in our family for a long time. <laughs> That's awesome. It's like the Osmonds around there during family Christmas then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or the Von Traps, one or the other. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Uh, where'd you first get your taste of music from the 80s? Who's the 80s person in the family? Your father or your mother? Or... Okay, so it's kind of it's kind of random because my first love for 80s rock was actually when I had the radio on in the house one day. And I think I was 13 and Def Leppard's Pour Some Sugar On Me came on the radio and I instantly fell in love with that song and I had to kind of find out who the band were. I went on to buy in their CDs and I was a huge Def Leppard fan when I was around 13. Uh, but also then Stephanie was a, a massive White Snake fan, so my elder sister. And then Stacy, the middle sister, was a big Bon Jovi fan. And my dad loves Rainbow, so probably a bit more from my dad's side, I would say. Yeah, your dad's a Rainbow fan. I love him already. That's good stuff. <laughs> His favorite song is I Surrender. He just is absolutely in love with that song. He will play it on repeat. <laughs> Oh, 
So let me ask you this. You grew up with your two sisters. Did you guys share music or get each other into different bands, that kind of thing? You were saying there's a pretty good age gap between you. So maybe that wasn't the thing with you three. I guess we've we've all like kind of rubbed off on each other with music because Steffi was obviously into White Snake and when I heard White Snake then from her listening to it, I loved it. And she obviously loves Def Leppard because I love Def Leppard. And we always used to just have these albums playing in the house all the time. I do remember one day um, my elder sister Steph was playing uh, Pat Benatar's Greatest Hits album. And that's when I started falling in love then with the, the female fronted 80s music. And then obviously I went on to finding out about Vixen and stuff like that. So yeah, definitely. We we definitely rub off on each other with our with our styles of music and we all love our taste of music. So it's it's cool. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, so you're a child of the nineties, so you grew up a little bit more in what I would consider the grunge era or the moodier era of music, correct? Yeah. Which would kind of play into your love for bands like Alter Bridge, etc., right? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So you talked about your sisters and you guys each loving whatever type of music it is that you're into. So that, that brings me to an interesting question, which is, I would say, what is the musical differences between you and your two sisters? Who's the diva? Who's the pop princess? And who's the metalhead? I'm definitely the metal head. Okay. Oh, that's really difficult. I like more metal than, than the other two. Uh-huh. Who's the diva? I would say... Oh, they're going to kill me. <laughs> I know. That's what this is beautiful. Don't lie to me either. <laughs> they're going to kill me when they hear this. Okay. So, I would say... Oh, this is really difficult. To be clear... There's a diva in every band. So this honestly has nothing to do with female, male, nothing, because there's a diva in every band. The problem is, I'm not sure if it's me. <laughs> so I would say, honestly, I've probably got more of a diva streak than the other two. I think my elder sister is more of the, you know, like the kind of person that gives everybody a pep talk before going on stage and kind of like, mothers the band a bit if you know what i mean yeah so she's she looks out she looks out for everybody and then you've got stacy who is a bit of a, a wild child yeah so i would probably be the, the diva <laughs> well so stacy's persona sort of fits her because as i watched I'll, I'll tell you i watched this um it was a 30 minute set at some festival in manchester that's what it was it was a manchester 30 minute set and Stacy comes across as sort of the wild child on stage, right? She dresses yeah. the part. She she rocks the part. And then, of course, your one sister, Stephanie, she was she was pregnant. So she said, Hi. you know, so she said, I'm pregnant, you know. So, OK, I can kind of see where the motherly part kind of comes across in that. Uh, she was still rocking, but, you know. And then you were coming across as sort of the punk of the bunch because I think you were wearing van shoes, van skate shoes or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So there's a funny story of that because we usually all wear boots. Okay. But Stephanie was heavily pregnant and she wanted to wear flats. We were like, okay, we'll wear flats with you. She was wearing boots, I think. She actually had like these knee-high boots on or something. Yeah, but they were really small heels. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's the story behind that one with my vans. <laughs> How did Kane come about? Is it something that the three of you just said, let's start a band? Or did was there a band already established and they came after the three of you? How did how did that all come about? So obviously we've always sung together. Um, we actually started off by singing um, a lot of like Andrew sister stuff because we always like harmonizing together. And then obviously we did, we went down a little bit of the pop route as well as a trio, but we all had such a strong love for rock music that one day we just thought, why don't we try and be a bit different and put a band behind us? So we started then looking for musicians and we gave it a go. And then 
once you sing in front of a band, there's no going back. <laughs> it's such a great feeling. So we kind of just went on from there. Obviously, we've, we've had so many different musicians in our bands over the years. Um, but the lineup that we have now has been quite strong for a, a good, good few years now, for about 10 to 13 years, I think. Now, Harry is one of the guitar players, and this is, you reference him quite a bit in your videos and things, right? Yeah, sure. Is he a solidified piece of that band? Is he, Was he the next person in the band? Yeah, so he was the first person uh, to join as a full part of the band then. Um, so we wrote with Harry. So the first, the first batch of songs that we wrote as the band were with Harry. And is Harry American? No. Okay. No, he's not. yeah, he's, he's from the UK. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I think I think I did some research. Oh, is this because is this because he's put on his Facebook that he's from America? No, he put in on well, he put it on his Facebook he lives in California or something. Yeah, he's he's a huge joker. <laughs> oh, he's complete fibber. He loves kidding people. He's he's just, just him all over. <laughs> That's perfect. He's my kind of guy then. Can't take anything I say seriously. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's exactly like that. <laughs> That's awesome. So you put out a great deal of YouTube videos where you cover other people's songs. And the songs, the song choices kind of range everywhere from hard rock to pop to alternative. How do you decide what you're going to cover? It's really random. Um, I will literally hear a song one day and really take a liking to it and want to sing it. And then I just decide that I want to do a cover of it. And it goes from there. I never pre-plan the songs. So it could be as random as just hearing a CD playing in the house. And I'll go, I'm going to cover that. And then I spend a couple of days just going over it. And then, then I give it a go. All of the covers you've done, and you've done a bunch of them. They're on your YouTube channel. Which one was the toughest for you to cover? Is there one that was really tough for you to cover? I can think of two that I saw that I'm like, yeah, I bet that was a pain in the ass. Pretty sure you know which one was the hardest. <laughs> well, I don't know which one was the hardest. You do three or four that stick out to me as, yeah, holy shit, you're going to try this and you nail it and you do great. And some of them are guys. So I'm like, okay, well, they're guys, but she's a female. So she's going to be more inclined to hit the higher registers with her voice. But some of them are females. And I'm like, okay, put on your boxing gloves. So which one? Give me a couple that were really tough for you. Okay, so the ultimate hardest one that I've done has got to be by a male singer. <laughs> Millie. Yeah, Steel Heart. <laughs> I'll never let you go. So I, I spent a couple of days warming up to that one. I'm not going to lie. I don't know where he gets that range from. He is insane. He's such a good singer. I also remember Dreams being a little bit on the harder side as well because the range is, it's at that range all the way through the song, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So it's quite up there. And to keep the stamina going throughout that song was quite hard. They've all got their tough moments where you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. That's why you reach out and try to do them, right? Yeah, I like a challenge. <laughs> yeah, of course. They're really, really well done. They sound great. They look great. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it was your cover of the Vixen tune, Edge of a Broken Heart, that Danny Rexon saw and got in contact with you. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> I mean, we're big fans of Crazy Licks here. How did that all work out with you? So Danny Rexon finds you through your video cover of the Vixen tune, Edge of a Broken Heart. Does Danny Rexon call you and say, hey, I'm Danny Rexon of Crazy Licks? And you say, well, who is Crazy Licks? Or did you know who Crazy Licks was already at that point? No, I knew of Crazy Licks. So it was, um, it was a bit of a, a shock. <laughs> Yeah, he just literally messaged me out of the blue. And it was it was around, I think it was around Christmas time, a couple of years, like, not last Christmas, the Christmas before. And he sent me this message. And I was just like, what? What the hell? <laughs> and he obviously had this idea for this project. And he asked me if I wanted to demo some tracks to see if I was suited for it. And obviously, with my love of 80s music, I was like, yes, I was in the studio the next day, because I knew that I had to work my absolute butt off to get this project. And yeah, he was happy with what I demoed. And Frontiers were happy with what I demoed. And it went from there. And I accepted the project. 
Now, were you a Crazy Licks fan, honestly, before uh, he contacted you, or did you really just not that familiar with the band's music? I wasn't overly familiar with them, but I started seeing their name around because obviously I'm, I'm a huge fan of Heat and Reckless Love. And then I was seeing their names starting to come into the same kind of lineups and stuff. So I, I had checked out a few of their videos before Danny had actually messaged me, but wasn't like completely familiar, if you know what I mean. No, absolutely. And it's not a, I mean, that's not a surprise for me because it's not like John Bon Jovi calls you up and goes, hey, I'm John Bon Jovi, right? Everybody knows who he is, but Crazy yeah. Licks is... I'll say they're a newer band. They've been around for a while, but it's not like they're huge. They're a Swedish band, and we try to push a lot of the newer Swedish bands like Heat and Eclipse and um, Crazy Licks and all these bands because we're really into them here on the show. My co-host and I have been going to this Monsters of Rock cruise for the last two years I want to go to that. I've never been. And I've, I've literally every year for about four years, I've been like, I want to go. Oh, it's amazing. You would have such a ball. Last year, we saw Heat for the first time and we were like, holy shit. Oh, they're so good. This is one of the best bands I've ever seen live. Now, yeah. I know Eric left and, and that disappoints me because honestly, he's probably one of the best frontmen I've ever seen. And I've seen yeah. a lot of great frontmen over the years. So Danny talks about writing this record uh, with the hopes of giving 2021 a strong female rock artist. What were some of your favorite rock artists from the 80s? And do you have any current female rock artists from the last 10 years that you really dig? Uh, today, I would say probably the most I listen to is maybe Hailstorm. Yep. Obviously. Lizzie Hale is badass. She's she's phenomenal. I really like Hailstorm stuff. But going back, um, I grew up on like Pat Benatar, Vixen, Robin Beck. The good thing is, is that they're all still going today. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just yeah, a mix of everyone really. But I really dig in Hailstorm. I, I love Hailstorm. Yeah, and it seems like probably if I had to compare Kane to the closest type of music uh, it would be closer to like a hailstorm than say a Def Leppard or something like that it's much more kind of I guess 90s oriented would be the right right word for it yeah I feel like Kane's music is more on the the modern rock kind of feel but I do still feel there are hints of like 80s 90s influences in there as well because obviously that's what we've grown up with so even though we've kind of we're hitting on the more modern rock. There are like little influences from all four of us that have written the stuff. So it's kind of cool. I think it's kind of quirky. I think the Kane stuff is quirky. It's good. Without a doubt, I think probably my favorite Kane tune is a song that feels a little bit 80s to me. And that's that, uh, what is it, Reckless, right? Oh, yeah, Reckless. That's a good one, yeah.
I love the riff in Reckless, and I like the quirkiness of La Di Da. Is that the name of the tune, La Di Da? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I like the quirkiness of that. That song's got a whole bunch of what I like to call earworms in it. These little things oh. that get in your ear that you just love. And they're really subtle little things. It can be, you know, like the little gang vocal part that's just like the whoa or the haze or whatever. Little earworms. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. It's funny you say that because we, we tend to end our show on La Di Da because we know that people like to sing along to it. So we always get the, the crowd going at the end of the show with that one. It's good stuff. So do you feel like still today you're walking a fine line between sex sells and listen to the music first? It rocks. Don't focus on the female aspect, that kind of thing, because I think it was much more prevalent in the 80s than it probably is nowadays. So from your view, what is your perception? I feel like uh, more today that there are a lot more people out there who are all about the music um, mm -hmm. and it's not on, on the look. Uh, don't get me wrong. I do feel that sex still sells quite a bit. <laughs> and always but, will. Yeah, I think it always will. I mean, like from both sides, like if I go to a gig and I see a good looking guy on stage, I'm always like, yeah, he's hot, you know. <laughs> And it's the same with girls. Look at that uh, with guys uh, watching girls on stage, they'll think the same. So, sex definitely sells, I think. But I do feel that today it is a lot more about the music as well. I feel like it's both aspects. But to me, I dress the way I want to dress. I don't dress to impress people. I've always looked up to like the 80s greats, Vixen. Their style was so hot. I loved it. Their big hair, the tight clothing. I absolutely loved that. I dress how I want to dress and people can see me how they want to see me. And I just love that style. Yeah. I think it's a good style. But yes, sex sells and... Music is very important today, so I think a bit of both. Well, a lot of people talk about they relate sex in the music world to females, and sex is always sold, but it wasn't always just females. You can't tell me that bands in the 80s, male-dominant bands in the 80s, weren't selling sex. The Motley Crues, the Def Leppards, the Van Halens, all of them were selling sex. Exactly. It just wasn't looked at the same way, which I think probably now with everything that's gone on over the last 10 years has probably changed that a little bit. But to me, my perception is there are far more women in rock and roll today than there were when I was growing up. You have your classic artists, your Lita Fords, the Runaways, Joan Jett, Hart, Pat Benatar, all these rock and roll female strong female figures then but nowadays it seems like almost every other band that i fall in love with or that i discover either has like a female front woman or you know a female in the band in some way shape or form it's a weird one because i feel like i feel like it happens on both sides so i i know like a lot of people look at it like oh there's there's loads of pervy men perving on um, girls on stage in these sexy clothing. But seriously, there are girls perving on guys just the same. <laughs> God love them. <laughs> God bless it. <laughs> so what was the, with all this COVID and all this stuff, I watched a couple of your quarantine videos and stuff like that. What was the last live rock show you got to see? The last live rock show. Oh. Do you remember? <laughs> I can't, I can't remember. Um, it's really annoying because I was set to see um, Heat and then I was going to see Europe and White Snake. Yeah. Oh, what was the one that I actually saw last? God, do you know what? I really can't, you really can't remember. Must have been a good one. <laughs> well, I know that I saw Taiketo because Kane, uh, we, we toured with Taiketo. So yeah. I've seen them live loads of times. Oh, who was the last band they saw? I can't think. So let's talk about inspirational albums. So you threw out there that your three inspirational albums were the best of Def Leppard. Yes. The debut by Steelheart. Yes. And Alter Bridge's Blackbird. Mm-hmm. Blackbird being really important to you. Yes. Okay. So we do a series here at Grown Up Rock every so often that's called Desert Island Albums. 
Okay. And our definition of a Desert Island album is essentially an album that there's no track on that album that you will skip. Okay. Meaning that you love all the record, the entire record. So yeah. uh, there's a lot of records that are almost Desert Island for me, meaning that I love every song on it except for one that I just am kind of like, meh, or I'll skip it from time to time. Okay. So give me three more Desert Island albums for you. Oh, this is going to be so hard. Don't overthink it. Just what are three records you've listened to a lot that you can look back on and go, you know what? I love every song on that record. Okay, so I can't say any of the three that I said. No, we already know about the best of Def Leppard's Steelheart's debut and Alter Bridge. Okay. And by the way, Def Leppard's greatest hits or best of is sort of a cop out on our show. Like we don't allow the best of because that's kind of that's kind of a jip. It's understandable because you're a younger individual. So just getting into a band like Def Leppard, a best of is probably perfect for you. So I get I get that. I understand. Yeah. Oh, this is really hard. Okay, so I love all of Heat's albums, and I don't skip, the thing is, I don't skip songs at all. When I when I pick an album, I always like to listen to it, because I'm always interested anyway, and I never seem to skip the songs, I just play it through. That's awesome. Let me ask you this then, because this is rare for somebody, for a younger generation. Are you a complete album listener? Like, you don't listen to just singles or tracks, you listen to the entire record? It depends. It changes because sometimes, obviously, I have CDs and then sometimes I will just listen to Spotify if I'm going running because it's obviously easier. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I will just click like the most popular songs that are being played by that band at the time and they'll just run through then the different albums. But you can put on a complete album on Spotify. I do it all the time. I know, but sometimes I do and then sometimes I don't. So I, I mix it up. The latest Heat record is amazing. Like, I don't skip anything off that last Heat record. Yeah, it's really cool. I actually really like their um, the one that people were a bit iffy on as well. Into, into the Great Unknown. Yeah, Into the Great Unknown was their experimental uh, record. There's some stuff on it I like a lot, but I don't know if I like the entire record. Well, I actually went run into that album yesterday, and I didn't skip a song. So we'll go with that one. Okay. Yeah. I see. I love all of Alter Bridge's albums. Yeah. Um, I love most of Def Leppard's albums. I love Vixen's first album, their debut. Yeah. So I'll go with that one, Vixen's debut. Okay. Oh, you're putting me on the spot. We'll come back to it. I'm going to think while we're chatting. <laughs> okay. I'm going to invite you back on the show, and we're going to we're going to review one of your Desert Island albums, and we're going to go track by track on it. That's usually what we do. Okay, awesome. That sounds good. And then we call you out whether you're really honest on, would you really not skip this tune? Seriously? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a huge Van Halen fan. And this year, we decided that in memory of Eddie Van Halen, we were going to go through each one of the 12 studio albums and do a review. So each month we release an episode where we go start to finish on the studio album. And even some of those, there's one or two tunes that I'm like, yeah, I don't know about this thing. You know, overall, love them. Overall, probably my favorite band. But honestly, I don't know if Van Halen has a Desert Island record. Probably the first record might be Desert Island for me, but I'm not sure the rest of their records are Desert Island for me. So there's always that one song, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> All right. When you, when you love an artist, yeah. you love them for them and then you listen to the album and you just, I don't know, you just have a connection because you love them and but yeah, I, I get I get what you mean. Yeah, see, that's the idealist artist talking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the idiot fan that goes, yeah, I didn't really love that, dude. But at least the good news is, at least you get honesty with me. So I won't tell I won't tell you I like your album if I don't. How I can I just ask? You heard my album of you? <laughs> yeah, I sure. I've listened to your album completely. <laughs> so it, it's still young to me. But here's what I'll tell you, because you asked, I'm going to tell you this. So it's still a new album to me, right? So I've only had 
I probably have only lived with it for a week and a half, two weeks. Okay. And it's hard for me to find time because I really like to go from start to finish and not be interrupted. I want to go start to finish on a, on a record and let it sink in. And that's how I listen to records and really get into it. And so I definitely have my favorite songs on the record. But remember, I'm the person that said I'm a rock and roller. I like guitar riffs. I like rock songs. I'm not a ballad person. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the ballad. And really, so Defender of the Heart is not really a ballad. It's a slower paced, but it's not a ballad. It's kind of mid-tempo. The song maintains that 80s feel, which I liked a lot. And I like the change before the solo break, which I think is really nice. But that's probably not my favorite song on the record. My favorites, I like all of it. I like Rocket on the Radio a lot. I like Get It On a lot. I love Midnight Rendezvous. That's a real rocker, right? Yeah, that one, yeah. And I think really, and this is me being honest, I think all the songs have really good qualities. There's really good stuff in all of them. Some of them remind me of this or that. Some of them are definitely influenced by one thing or another from the 80s, but don't sound like it. I'm not saying that it sounds like it. I'm just saying that it is reminiscent or influenced by something. I think the song Ball and Chain, which I like this tune. Ball and Chain is is a cool tune. Yeah, it's cool. You tell me what song is that influenced by or what artist? Uh, a lot of people have said, <laughs> I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> because it is. It's influenced by You Give Love a Bad Name by Bon Jovi. Quite a few people have said the Bon Jovi reference on that one. It definitely feels that way. It doesn't sound like it. Again, I'm not saying that it sounds like it. I'm just going to say that it has that feel and it has that flavor. The vocal harmonies at the beginning and then the little riffy uh moving walking groove kind of thing that goes on but listen overall you should be proud of this record oh thank you <laughs> it really is a solid record have you listened to your label mate palace that record no, I haven't yet. Go check out the Palace record. It's on Frontiers as well. And okay. this record is straight out of the 80s as well. Like he oh, okay. he uses, it's one guy um, who's an artist and I guess his name is Palace. I don't, I don't know a ton about the band, but he uses a lot of 80 keyboard sounds and his writing is on point with just that 80s feel. But that record is a grower for me, meaning that the first time I heard it, I was kind of like, yeah, it's a little bit too keyboard heavy for me. I need more guitar. And it stayed and it stayed and it stayed. And I kept giving it a chance and kept giving it a chance. And every time I listened to it, I liked it a little bit better. It's super catchy, super hooky. And it's something that if you like your record, like I think you would enjoy this guy's record. So check it out. I will, definitely. So let's talk a little bit more about this record. So this is the self-titled record released on March 12th, Frontiers Records, produced and mixed by Danny Rexon from Crazy Licks. And yep. the other thing that stood out for me is that it's mastered by Eric Martinson from Blowout Productions, which Eric is Eclipse and Wet. Yeah. Danny wrote this entire record. Is this something that you would like to take more a part in on future records? Because I'm assuming the record was probably already written before you were even into the picture. So the opportunity was there for me to write bits and pieces if I wanted to. But to be completely honest with you, Danny would send me the songs and he said if I had any different ideas to let him know. But the second the songs got here, I like instantly fell in love with them and I couldn't hear anything else. So I was like, no, they're perfect. I don't need to change anything. You've just nailed the songs. I love them. So I can I can write the stuff with him. If future albums come along, then um, I, I might do a bit of writing as well. But this album just happened very naturally and it was just perfect. And I didn't want to touch it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> 
some people just, they just want to do their thing. So if they sing, that's all they want to do is they sing. If they play guitar, they just want somebody to show them the parts and play guitar. Are you a person that really doesn't care one way or another? Or do you get wrapped up in the writing process? How do you fit as an artist into making music? I love performing and I love singing. Um, I like writing. I don't always love writing because it doesn't always come to me. So, but when it does, it's it's a great feeling. But I like doing a bit of everything. So I play a little bit of guitar as well. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I will play guitar on stage. I might do a bit of acoustic stuff now and again. So yeah, I just I just like doing a bit of whatever I'm capable of, really. Um, so writing, I do like doing. I just really didn't feel like I needed to change anything on um, on this album. I just thought it was perfect. <laughs> How about the Kane stuff? Do you get involved in the writing for the Kane stuff? Yes, I've I've written quite a lot of the Kane stuff uh, with the girls and Harry. So um, we basically come up with uh, with our own ideas and then we take it to the rest of us and we then collaborate on the songs. So I started the song Show Me a Skeleton, whereas Stephanie started the song La Di Da. Um, and then someone else started a different song and then we just bring it all together and then we write it out uh, as a whole then. Does it start with a vocal melody or or a guitar riff or how does how does your songs normally start? It varies. So sometimes Harry will come up with um with like a melody and then we'll write a uh, with Show Me a Skeleton. I started that song and I basically sat with my acoustic guitar and I came up with the uh, the beginning verse and then we it just went from there. Then and then obviously Harry was flying with, in with ideas of of the musical direction and then the girls were adding lyrics and stuff so that's how we work really one of us will start something and then we just all pile in on it (laughs) what are you looking forward to in 2021 hopefully being able to at least play a show and promote your record because right now you're probably relegated to doing what we're doing right now which is these video interviews and regular interviews but what do you hope to have happen in 2021 I think I just want what everybody else wants, really, a little bit of normality back where we can go out to some gigs and start booking some gigs again. We had an announcement here in the UK yesterday that they're hoping to lift the restrictions on lockdown in June. Uh, But obviously, who knows what's going to happen because things change all the time. So from June onwards, it would be nice to be able to book some gigs and promote the album because that's really what I want to be doing right now. (laughs) I'm itching to get on stage with this album. (laughs) Yeah. And so will they put a band around you or will you be using some of the folks from Kane? How will that work? So I've recently done some uh, band auditions. I did it on my social media. I wanted people to send me some auditions of themselves playing along to Too Late for Love. Mm -hmm. Now, I know plenty of musicians that I could ask, but I purely did it because I wanted the people who were auditioning to have I don't know, a bit of excitement about the project. And, you know, like I wanted to feel their hunger for wanting to be in the band and to have a feel of how they like the 80s style and stuff. So that's why I wanted the video auditions. And I've come to a decision on band members at the moment. And I'm very, very happy. But we, we just want to get together now and um, and rehearse when we can. But that will all be revealed at some point. <laughs> that's awesome. Now, is there a position? I'm an amazing triangle player. Would I be able to join the band? And uh... <laughs> That's so funny that you said that because my best friend, I don't know if you've seen this, but my best friend did a audition for my band and she's playing the triangle very badly on YouTube. Is that on your video page? It's just on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> she, just, she just uploaded um, a video of it playing Too Late for Love on the triangle. <laughs> You know, what's really bad about that is I can't even get a gig playing the triangle because your friend already thought of that. This is ridiculous. I've had had more interest for triangle players. (laughs) I'll never end up in a band, damn it. This is completely ridiculous. I'm stuck doing podcasts for the rest of my life. It's so funny. (laughs) Unbelievable. No, I'm serious. We're going to have to get you back to do a Desert Island episode at some point. But I remembered my album that I want. What was it? So I'm going to go for my third one, uh, Taiketo Don't Come Easy. A great record. Yes, very, very good record. <laughs> yeah. 
Fantastic. Maybe the Taiketo record is the one we go through on the show because that is a good record. Yeah, it really is. Well, that does it for this episode. We appreciate Chez Kane for stopping by and sharing her new album with us. It's an amazing record. Go out there and pick it up. It'll take you straight back to the 80s. And she is an amazing singer. So hopefully you guys will dig it. The album's out March 12th on Frontiers Records. Go out there and support Chez Kane. Thanks, Chez. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook. 
at Growing Up Rock.